We're cleared for launch. Here we are again. Wouldn't have it any other way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined by two members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow <laughs> and Cicero Holmes. Man, these mothballs taste terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, and uh, I mean, for those of you that have waited months and months and months for uh, another episode, all two of you, um, sorry about that. Uh, life has been pretty weird, as I think is true for most people right now. And unfortunately, Zachy couldn't join us. He is caught in class tonight, but we hope to have him on soon. And um we haven't gotten together to discuss season three of Discovery because Zachy hasn't finished watching it yet because he's an extraordinarily busy man and we didn't want to move on without him. But we'll try and figure out a way to uh, to move uh, ahead when it comes to discussing uh, our title show and the show that inspired us to all get together. Um, but since it has been so long... Let's just check in with the two people that we have here and see what's going on. Cicero, my friend, yes. it has been far too long since we – I mean, we've talked occasionally, of course, over the last couple months, but yeah. not when it comes specifically to Star Trek stuff. But before we jump into that, how have you been doing? What do you want people to know about what you've been up to? And uh, yeah, take it away, man. Well, uh, yeah, I I have been doing well. I've I've been fortunate enough to be able to work remotely um, while everyone has been staying at home, um, and you know, and have been working really hard to make sure that, uh, uh, without giving away what I do or or where I work, um, but keeping people happy and healthy um, during during uh, the course of this pandemic. Um, so you're welcome. And <laughs> what can I say um, except? You're right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I have, I have been doing well. Um, you know, the, the pandemic has been not without its trials. Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, personally, I have been doing well and my family has been doing well for the most part. Um, and have even added some additions to my family. Excellent. And I'm super, super happy about that. Yeah. I can imagine. Oh, that's, that's awesome, and uh, glad to have you back. And people yeah. listening to this can't see, but it's good to see you again yes. as well. Uh, yes, it's nice to to add that to the dynamic here. Rachel, I know what you've been up to, but you haven't really been in podcasting mode. But you did recently have to get into presentation mode. 
right? For a job interview, yes. That's something, though. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah. So, uh, oh God, when was the last time we got together? We got together once since we've been back. I think. In October. We, yeah, we we have we have had at least one show with Mister and Doctor Clow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. So, Doctor and Mister. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Doctor and Mister Cloud. I I just can't wait until you know my inevitable criminal trial for something in the future. When you go, when you take the stand, just don't commit crimes, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) They're white collar crimes. It's okay. (laughs) Someone says, "Mrs. Cloud," and you go, "Doctor, Doctor Cloud." Right. (laughs) You got to you got to take full ownership of it. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so you sat for a job interview at a local cancer research center, and you gave a presentation on some of the data that you've been working on. And but being back home has also been an adjustment for both of us, right? So, just how have you been doing? Ah. I have been okay, Chris. (laughs) Um, It is hard to be a stay-at-home mom after being a graduate student. Um, I guess it kind of prepares you in that graduate school. You can put a lot of work into something for very little reward. (laughs) And parenting can be very much like that on a day-to-day basis. And you just hope it turns out okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I think as soon as she became really mobile, um, things got really hard because she crawls around and just tries to destroy things and get into things. And I just, I am running after her all day and I'm getting yelled at and I'm getting my hair pulled and getting punched. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time. But it's totally good and rewarding. I mean, you, we're you on a more regular basis than me because I'm stuck in our second bedroom eight hours a day doing work in B two B journalism. But this, I I do get the distinct sense that there are things that I miss, you know, through the day that you get to see. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, so, I'm sure, yeah. But, that's that's one of the strange things. Thankfully, I've been able to work remotely as well. Um, you know, counting the blessings that I was able to bring my job with me from the Chicago area, and uh, the whole company has pretty much transitioned to a remote work environment, which is certainly good for me. And the work has been challenging but good, and it's taken adjustment. And being a parent, you know, it's not as hard on me as it is on Rachel, of course, but. Um, it, it has its moments too. For me. Uh, but uh, there's I, some parental favoritism that can be quite insulting uh, to you. Well, so. it's not insulting. It's understandable. But it's I mean, it's uh, th- that that favoritism is a seesaw. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. It'll <laughs> it'll come to you, Chris. Yes, and it does at certain points in the day. But um, but it, we've it's not been without fun. You know, as more of our friends have gotten vaccinated, we've been able to see some more people, which is good, and family members. And we're celebrating our daughter's first birthday this weekend from the time that we're recording this uh, with all the grandparents, and they've all been vaccinated, and a couple of aunts and uncles. So. It's, uh, it's, it's fortunate. I know a lot of people have not been able to do things like that in a long time. So that is, it does not go unnoticed. I'll put it that way. But um, 
one of the things may, that I wanted to may oh. I may I say yes uh, as as the as a veteran parent here uh, on on the show uh, and and since Zachy is not here um, I will say and he will probably echo that while you're in the trenches it is definitely difficult to much like grad school right it is it is difficult to really quantify the the positive changes that you're making not only to your life but to the world but when you're a few years removed from from having to constantly be there uh as when your daughter becomes she gets out of the the no no stages she gets to be about 3 or 4 years old you will think back wistfully on the times when she was an infant and they will be beautiful romantic times in your brain um there there are things that this the the like wild-eyed you know the the veins popping out of your forehead stuff will be pushed to to the rear of your memories um they will resurface but but will it be too late before you've already made the decision on whether or not you're going to have another child that is that is the question. Absolutely. That is the question. Well, but no, but it is it is a beautiful thing. The the perspective is much appreciated, and um, you know I'll, I'll look forward to that day when I can look back uh, fondly on <laughs> some of the more difficult. Del- I'm I mean I'm already kind of doing that when we had to be up with her at all hours of the night because she sleeps through the night. She's good with that. There you go. Um, that's that's the first step. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, um, much appreciated, my friend. Thank you. Before we jump into some of our other topics and just catching up on all the franchise news that's taken place, um, not to get too far ahead of, uh, of where Zachy's going to be when he rejoins us, but I would like to get just some basic thoughts from the both of you on the third season of Discovery, since it's been over now for a while. Um, definitely took the, the not only the show itself, but the entire franchise in quite a different direction uh, just in terms of the, the, the time period that it's playing in and the kinds of, uh, of, of characters that were in play. So Cicero, if you wouldn't mind starting off, what did you make of Star Trek discovery season three? Well, I think one of the first things that I'll say is uh, when we did our reviews of the first few episodes of the season, the the one thing that stuck out to me was th- how they freed themselves from canon and like that part in and of itself has been very very liberating for for the show i think um it gives them the space now to actually just kind of to spread their wings and and decide to do with uh both their characters and the ship discovery and the federation, whatever they feel like doing, um, and and that's a great place for them to be. Of the seasons as a whole, I think it was probably my least favorite season of of a, of the whole, but I I still loved it. Right, like you still have to have your favorites. Um, and this was my least favorite of the three seasons, but I feel like there were 
fantastic moments in this season. Um, but when you put it all together, it was it probably was less than the the other two seasons when you look at them as the as a, a complete package. Um, I think one of the things that was that wasn't really handled well was Giorgio. Um, and while what they, how they managed to bring her back, because we all knew, you know, that was one of our questions going into the season. Uh, what, what are they going to do with Giorgio? If Giorgio is supposed to be in the, the section 31 show, she's in the future now. Like, how does that, how do, how do you reconcile that? Um, they found a way to do that. Uh, I, I did enjoy the fact that we did get to go back to the mirror universe and we got to see uh, all of our favorite characters actually act like badasses for a change um, again. And they were all super sexy. Like I loved all of that. Um, but I don't know if I loved why it happened. Hmm. Uh, so yeah. So that, that was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little weirdness for me. Um, but but overall, I'm you know I'm still really happy. I'm still really happy with with uh, with the show overall and and with the season overall. I just wasn't wasn't as I'm wasn't as enthused about this season as I had been about previous seasons. Before I hand it to Rachel, I want to ask you because I know you were a bit. And granted, I'm I'm going to be spoiling something about the season finale for the next couple of minutes. So if you want to just if if you want to wait for our own discussion, then feel free to fast forward through the next couple of minutes. But you were a very big proponent of Captain Saru. Yes. And that yes. apparently has been limited to season three going forward. Although uh, there are I'm, uh, a lot of people, I'm sure, that feel the captaincy was earned by Captain Burnham. Uh, I was I was really happy to see her ascend to that, but as someone who is a big fan of seeing Saru in that leadership position, what do you think of how his leadership ended up in season three, and the fact that Burnham has gotten into the center seat now? Um. Well, so I, like, both things can be true, right? So I'm I'm very happy for Captain Burnham. Um, it, it is, is definitely something that has been earned, but I also th thought that Saru's captaincy had been earned. And then once he was rightfully given that space, they did everything in their power to undermine him. And then, and then it seemed like they fell back on old character archetypes of Saru once he became the captain, you know, like he, he was this bold and, and, you know, while, while you know, compassionate and bold and self-assured. And that's, that's who Saru seemed to be, or it seemed to be becoming. And then they removed that self-assurance and, and, and allowed this, this, thing between him and Burnham to fester and 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 the way that Saru dealt with those things seemed very uncharacteristic for who the character was turning into uh and and it obviously it made sense because 
ultimately it was just the canard that he was going to be the captain uh, for any extended period of time. So, and and they needed to find a way to get him out of there. Did you think then, just from my own understanding, that he was maybe too deferential to Starfleet once they hooked back up? Um, it felt he was he was indecisive. Sure. So it felt super sweaty to me. Like they were working really hard to get a Captain Burnham and they were just having Saru kind of. Yes. Hold the space just to hold the space. Yeah. And, and, and right. And then once they, once they had him in that space, they were sabotaging him narratively. Right. Like that's, you know, and that's what I mean. I, I felt like they were trying to make the audience feel like maybe this isn't the job for him or he could do, he could be uh, an adequate captain, but clearly Burnham is going to be a better captain than him. Hmm. So we need to give Burnham that job and we need to make sure that you and the audience feel that way as well. So we're going to do things to Saru to make him seem less competent than Burnham would be. See, it's so funny that you guys say that because Cicero, what you're describing is almost exactly how I feel about what happened to Tilly in season three. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I didn't just because I didn't pick up on it with Saru. I'm not saying that it wasn't present or anything, but no. I feel like it was more obvious with her um, because they set her up. You know, she's in man training program. They hint in the first couple of seasons that she could be this great commander and obviously she's not that experienced when she was given a leadership position, but I still felt like that flamed out very fast. Well, I, so I, I think Tilly is going to be Ensign Kim who gets promoted. Oh God. Over the course, over the course. So of, she'll get of, her due. Then. She'll get her <laughs> due. Right. Right. So like, so she, I think what we're going to see is this greater arc with Tilly mm-hmm. where we'll get to a point where Tilly does really earn her command. Um, and, you know, and maybe that's a sending off point for where discovery ends is we get to see Tilly command her own ship in this new version of Starfleet mm-hmm. and, you know, and then roll credits. Right. And we all feel g- good about, where where that where that leaves us. Sure. Um I, I definitely think that's going to happen. I, I I think with Tilly the 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 thought was we're going to have these ebbs and flows. We're going to give her the chance to succeed and watch her fail only for her to succeed to even greater heights mm-hmm. later on. Um but I think with Saru Saru is plateaued um, and the only way that he can surpass that is for him to be a capable and competent captain. But they couldn't do that because the thought had always been, the goal had always been Captain Burnham. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so you can't have Captain Saru and also Captain Burnham. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, we know Saru's going to be in the next season. It'll be odd to see how that plays out we know he's going to be in the next season but we don't know what capacity he's going to be in yes in the next season yeah and and i mean and to that point 
his exit from this season uh, left a lot to be desired. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, very well uh, communicated as always. Uh, Rachel, your overall thoughts on discovery season three. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't my favorite season and I had a lot of frustrations with it. Hmm. And um, I think ultimately I've, um, a lot of it hasn't really stuck with me, <laughs> which is not a good sign um, that I, you know, I can remember season one and season two much better. Um, and I watched them much longer ago. <laughs> Granted, I was probably more well rested when I, um, when I watched those. However, so some things that I, yeah, I, I felt like maybe some of, what I was hoping or what I was expecting for the side characters didn't really come to pass. Um, kind of felt like Saru and Tilly were maybe like moving around to like move the story to where they were trying to get it to go instead of like maybe where it would be the most satisfying for their characters, if that makes any sense. Um, what was the oh and i i had this like very like this pet peeve that you know supposedly burnham and who's book, the who's book? the guy book yeah um book were running around in their spaceship together for like a year and they never kissed or anything right. Right. and then nothing happened. You're like alone in a spaceship for a year and nothing happens. And then, Oh, and then conveniently, as soon as we're watching, they're, they're in love. There is a book coming out. That's going to fill that year in. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it can explain exactly how that works, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just like did not buy that. Yeah. Two um, very attractive yeah. humans, heterosexual humans with this cat. Yeah. They were flying in space. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I thought Just that, two buds. Yeah, <laughs> two just, attractive buds. Two attractive buds, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought, like if, they, like, if they didn't get together in that year, just have them not be romantic interests. Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe they tried it and it didn't work out or something. I don't right. know. But the Which fact is, that it, yeah, I, then, I said the same thing, Rachel. Yeah, it just didn't. It felt very like a, a like a YA novel to me, Ooh. where Ooh. <laughs> which is not. It's maybe not the big big insult that you seem to think it is. Like I don't mean it as a oh. as a big insult. Mm. It just to me like because I I read YA novels occasionally. I'm, they're not my favorite thing, but I do read them and a lot of times there is like a romantic subplot that is in there and it always has to be there. And you're in, you're like, okay, here's the romantic subplot. (laughs) But um, that's, that's a little bit what it felt like. And that wasn't necessarily good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And yeah, there was just, just a lot of little things like that that were just, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, sure, okay. And um, and I thought, like, kind of the ending seemed, 
you know, without going into specifics, it it seemed like the plot of like the last two episodes, ex- like ex- it, it lasted way longer than it needed to. Like I understand, like I understood exactly what was going on, but and what what was going to happen, or I had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen, and then it seemed like it took forever to play out hmm. for me. Um, maybe I should rewatch it. Maybe that's. Well, I don't, I don't look, your, your opinion is a valid one. I it, I think I liked the season more than you two did. Uh, <laughs> particularly when it comes to the ending, the thing that I thought set it apart was that, and I, I complained to you guys at the time both seasons ended, both times it felt like the, the end just came as a crash very abruptly. Sure. That was not a problem in season three, I didn't think. I felt like they learned their lesson in terms of slow, more slowly grinding it to a halt and at least leaving the potential open for what could happen in the future. Uh, I thought they did that a little better. I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you guys are saying. Um, my eye, I guess, maybe it was more on like the larger uh, components of the implications on the universe like the idea of um, Spock was right. Unification did take place. That was cool. And yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah. it took a lot longer than I think he was hoping, but it still did happen. And um, what the implications were for that on what remains of the Federation. Having... I was legitimately shocked that Earth wasn't a member of the Federation anymore. I don't know how that struck you guys, but yeah, oh yeah. Um, and then I, I did really like in in some of those early episodes how uh, in that first conflict with Earth and then and um, the the neighboring civilization how they were all right. humans, and right. there was just something that felt distinctly Star Trek about taking a story in that direction. Well, I liked that too. And I, I felt like, okay, I was, I was a little bit negative there and that there were a lot of things that I did like and a lot of moments that were good and a lot of episodes that were good. If what sticks out to you though, or the things that bugged you, that's fine. Yeah, I know. I just like in, in thinking about it, I'm thinking, uh, yeah. Well, we'll rewatch it. it. Like it's been a while, you know, and we should probably rewatch it anyway. If we're going to hi Daisy, we're, we should probably rewatch it anyway if we're going to talk about it on a more um, regular basis, or at least if we convene one more time to do like an actual season review. But um, the stuff about the, I'm really looking forward to seeing some familiar species that we haven't seen in a long time that conceivably the crew of discovery will now have access to. I would love to see the Bajorans again and the Cardassians. I'm led to believe that the Cardassians are supposed to show up in the next season. Um, and, you know, m- maybe some more implications for, like, the Andorians. We have clearly not seen what the Klingons are doing right. and uh, what the hell has happened to them. That's a big question in my mind. But um, but I see where you guys are coming from, too, in that the, the writers clearly had a desire to end the season in a very particular place when it comes to Burnham. And maybe that was at the expense of some of the other characters. But at the same time, I feel like we did at least get to know some of the other crew members on the bridge a little bit more. Sure. Um, Sure. But it was, it was like, it was to me, it was like 
we got a, an episode and a half of everybody else, right? Sure. We got we've we got uh several episodes where we we dealt with Burnham, Giorgio, Tilly, uh uh Saru and uh and Stamets and and Colbert. Right, like we 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 had the crew, we had the core crew. Oh, and then of course we we've got uh, the two new people. Um, uh, uh, I, I can't remember their names the, now, the, but the yeah. symbiote. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so, Demer got a decent well, subplot. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the actress's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, for, I forget I forget now, but um, but yeah, like like I said, I think. There were moments that I loved, mm-hmm. right? And the the I think the parts were greater than the sum for this season, and that's that's where I feel like the season missed for me. Where uh, this is this is the first season of Discovery where I feel like. I could just go in and just watch episodes sure. that I enjoyed as opposed to saying, Hey, this, this episode is part of this greater arc. And I really need to watch the entire, in, the entirety of the arc uh, in order to appreciate even this little breakout episode that I absolutely love, yeah. but like in its totality, I really love all of this. Um, the you know unification part three was great. Going back to the mirror universe was great. Uh, stuff that we got in the beginning of the season was great. Um, when we when you know when we uh, wind up dealing with the trill and we you know we go to the trill and you know all of those individual parts were great. But when you put all of those things together, it just wasn't. I don't think they suc- were as successful with it at least from my standpoint, as they intended to be um, and and as uh, successful as they had been in the past. Sure. Yeah. Well, I will look very much forward to hearing what Zachy has to say about going back to the mirror universe. Yeah. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Break she, out that booth, baby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still alive. <laughs> it's still alive. Well, uh, let's move along and talk about some news. Mm. So, uh, the first thing, we've been hearing little trickles here and there. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is shooting now in Toronto. Um, The thing that I've heard most consistently about it, unfortunately, they did have uh, a crew member expose a couple of other people to the virus, but apparently it didn't happen on set. So those people are quarantined and production was able to continue, thankfully. Uh, And it sounds like they're doing okay, which is good. But the predominant thing I've heard structurally that I'd like to get your perspectives on is that everybody's talking about how closely it's going to be inspired structurally by the original series, meaning that there might be a couple of arcs that thematically tie together in a long form way, but for the most part, uh, it's going to be episodic. And it's going to be, um, you know, obviously taking place about five, six years before the original series begins. There are 
some stuff that you would hope would connect more overtly, but we're getting an episodic Star Trek show again, something we haven't had, honestly, since probably... Who, to- who prior, told you this? Prior to the fourth who told, season. Who of told you? This? Alex Kurtzman, Anson Mount, Rebecca Romaine. I don't Impact. believe them. You don't think it's going to be episodic? <laughs> I think they'll say it's episodic, but it's not really episodic. They'll be a... I don't well, think they have the stones to make it purely <laughs> episodic. Well, what what do you think about the idea of potentially going back to an episode? I love movie? that idea. That sounds oh, okay. fantastic. Yeah. I have too much going on in my life. And <laughs> being able to just watch one episode of TV and not have to remember that many things <laughs> sounds delightful. Um, I just don't, like, I don't believe it. I just, I, they're gonna, like, still have a overarching, like, mythology thing going on. Okay, so you, so you think that they think they're telling the truth, or do you think they're- I think they think they're telling the truth. I think they think it's episodic, but I think if you go back and compare it to, like, Next Generation, or X-Files, or- Or TOS? Or TOS, like yeah, like especially TOS, where there's some there's some things that maybe aren't so good with the continuity. <laughs> like, um, yeah, like it's not it's not going to compare. It's there's still going to be a plot for this season. So you think it's episodic through a modern prism that's not truly episodic? Yeah. Okay. Cicero, how about you? Do you think they're going to stick to their guns? What, how do you feel about the idea of going back to episodic and do you think they'll pull it off? Well, I, I, I do think that the, the, uh, the not my Trek fanboy out there would, will love the, the fact uh, that they're saying that they're going episodic, right? Because that is their Trek, right? I'm really glad that you said that because – they're going to hate it anyway. Come on. Well, but the weird thing about Strange New Worlds, though, is that uniformly you have fans of new Star Trek and fans of pre-Kurtzman Star Trek clamoring for this show. Right. Anyway, right. So I just wanted to point that out. Please continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think this is this is really a call out to the Not My, not my Trek fanboy to say this is your trek, right? Like this well, but really honestly what what they're doing and I hope that they I think Rachel is right though. Uh hashtag #Rachel is right. Um that that it will be episodic through a modern prison, you know, a a modern prism uh because that's that's how procedurals and and episodic shows kind of go now is like you, you have like, there's, you know, there is a quest for a MacGuffin and uh, during the course of the quest from the MacGuffin, you, you have all these zany adventures, right? And each, you know, in each episode, you uh, figure out a way to make your way to, you know, a little bit further and closer to the MacGuffin. Um, Usually that's the way these things work. The only reason I would say that it, that they don't have to do that this time around is because they spent so much time in season two 
making these characters so damn lovable that you can just have people come back or say just one more episode if they're binging them just off the strength of loving the characters, right? Like, and you don't have to love the story. You don't have to to know what happens next. You just want to stay and hang out with these guys some more and, and see what kind of wacky things they get themselves into, uh, you know, in the next week. So maybe they just go episodic and I, I, that would kind of be awesome, but it would only be awesome for people that have watched discovery season two and fell in love with those characters via discovery season two and the overall love for pre pre Kirk enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but like, I think about trying to get a new fan to fall in love with an episodic version of that show, I don't know if I could do that, right? Because they, they'd they have to come in and immediately love those characters mm-hmm. enough to, to watch another 40 minutes sure. of the show. Well, by that token, then, do you think that an episodic Strange New Worlds would be more new viewer friendly than Picard? Uh, yes, it will be more viewer friendly than Picard, right? Because for, for the, you know, the, the sliver of the Venn diagram of people that are Star Trek fans, but somehow didn't watch TNG or didn't like TNG, um, Picard is, I mean, all but inaccessible, right? Or, or irrelevant to your sensibilities as a Star Trek fan, right? Um, whereas Strange New Worlds, if you aren't a, if you're only a TOS fan, which I, I just met uh, last weekend, I met someone who was a big sci-fi fan and said that uh, her and her husband are Star Trek fans, but only TOS fans. Um, and TOS fans, and he loves Discovery. Wow. Have they seen yeah. the 90s stuff? I, uh, yeah, I, you, you would assume so. They're they were my age. I have okay. so, never met like, someone they, like they, that. Yeah, they 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 existed. Yeah, they existed when those things uh, were new. So it's it's weird, but like, yeah. So this group, th- these particular people. So this very very slight Venn diagram of people that are start consider themselves Star Trek fans, but not TNG fans, or and you know not the nineties nineties Star Trek fans. Uh, can go into Strange New Worlds because it is just a newer version of the Star Trek that they liked, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the Star Trek that they remember, right? And and it is. It's that thing where, look, my life is busy. I want my aliens and my transporters and my mm-hmm. and my you know and my phasers, but I don't want to know anything else. I just want to see a bunch of goofy people have fun with aliens in a spaceship and transport to things and go and warp drive. And then, you know, at the end of, at the end of 44 minutes, we reset. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm cool with that. And, and you know what? It's, it's awesome because then it gives, it gives Trek fans today so many different 
types of Star Trek shows, yeah. right? Like we get all of these different genres. It's, it's almost like the MCU in in Star Trek, right? Where you know we can have we can have Section Thirty One be our like espionage spy show. And then you've got Discovery, which is kind of like your Game of Thrones show. And then you've got Picard, which is like, you know, your your old man Logan show, and, you know, like and and so like you can have all of these different things and have it all be under the umbrella of Star Trek. And and you feel as, you know, as sophisticated and as complex as you are as an adult, you feel like your nerd sensibilities can be catered to in all of these different ways by this one franchise that you absolutely love. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really hope they pull it off. Yes. Um, I've told you guys before, most people who have listened to this show before probably knows that uh, TOS is where I hang my hat. That's my favorite of the shows, even though I don't contend it's the best one. I'm honestly proud of you that you didn't jump down that person's throat and say, well, watch Deep Space Nine. Right, but, right, right. <laughs> but um, the, the the feeling of the original series is going to be very hard to emulate in a modern TV show. Yes. Um, I have no doubt that they're going to try and lean into the optimism and um, and – hopefully kind of an episodic structure with maybe some overarching elements over the course of the season. But um, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to go into that, uh, like, bloop, 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 <laughs> you know, like the, the goofy kind of music that they would do before <laughs> Spock tells them that they're all incompetent, emotional humans. And they're all just like, Oh, Spock. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, maybe they'll be able to pull something like that off. Um, they certainly have the cast for it, but um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Especially considering that a lot of the creative team, has been involved in sort of the harder edge stuff that we've seen from the franchise recently. But look, nothing's going to stop me from, from absorbing strange new worlds the minute it's available, you know, and, and, Oh, and something we didn't even mention, by the way, that has happened since the last time we recorded the transition from CBS all access to Paramount plus Cicero for you has that, materialize in a way that you notice or is it just the same app with a different name uh it's so it's well the the, the app is definitely more dynamic right sure, right yeah. and and uh um the con there is there is more content there um i engaged with the real world uh finale or oh, not yeah, finale yeah. the reunion, the reunion. Yeah. Of, of season one and i didn't watch season one so this was like really I, you know, I was familiar with the the group, but this was my first time consuming any content with these people in it. Uh, so, so that was interesting. Uh, from you know, from a Star Trek standpoint, though, I don't think anything has changed outside of branding, um, and 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 maybe it will allow those of us that are delusioned into thinking that. Uh, there, there is a motion f uh, picture franchise to save. Um, <laughs> some of us may think that because it's now called Paramount, there, there is a chance that there's really going to be a tangible 
uh, franchise to be saved. And maybe we'll talk about that in, in the news. We will. Um, we will. Absolutely. But, but like, you know, outside of, outside of the, the name change and the fact that maybe with all of the, the Star Trek content that's on the, on the uh, service that may uh, inspire the powers that be to, to throw out, to dole out um, motion picture level, um, money for for a potential new franchise like a falcon uh, winter soldier level kind of a yeah sure uh, i mean they, they're already doing that right with with discovery the the effects that's the you know there there is one thing that they haven't really skimped out on on that show and that's the effects sure. they have been yeah. remarkable the score has been remarkable the uh, the effects have been you know top notch but in terms so, of like a uh enterprise reunion or something right. on that level like a one off yeah. kind of a thing yeah 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 I, yeah i don't i don't, yeah i just i don't i don't see any of those things happening yeah um unless people go trek crazy sure. you know paramount plus becomes disney plus levels right. of popularity I think the only material impact on us is that they've added a bunch of Nickelodeon stuff. So yeah, Esri is a Blues Clues fan now. Oh, <laughs> congratulations yeah. and my condolences. <laughs> I think Daddy is a Blues Clues. I fan. was, I was, and she, she just kind of, she likes blue. She does. She, she yeah, likes. She's blue. just like, oh, songs and a, a, and a cartoon dog. <laughs> but. I was also a fan of Legends of the Hidden Temple too, and that's on there. There you go. And I got a big kick out of seeing that. But other than that, it's pretty similar. Yeah, I think. But yeah, well, let's talk more about Star Trek news. Um, okay. Next item that I've got on here, yeah. So Alex Kurtzman was asked recently about the line between Star Trek film and television now that uh, CBS and Paramount have been consolidated. So there was an article in Variety called How Big IP is Driving the Streaming Wars, and it looks at stuff with Marvel and Star Wars at Disney, and for Viacom CBS, it is understandably focused on Star Trek. And Alex Kurtzman said the following. He said, quote, I think vertical alignment has made it so that it's impossible not to accept the reality that the line between movies and television is gone. It doesn't mean that you can't have a feature that is separate from television, but if they aren't connected in some way, then you're basically running two universes parallel as opposed to interconnected. And I think that those messages could potentially cancel each other out. So he also said that um, the, the people that are coordinating the Star Trek shows um, are strategizing to a greater degree within Viacom CBS over the past year. Um, and there's a monthly showrunners meeting between all of the people in charge of Star Trek to see what parts are being utilized on the other shows. He said, quote, we make sure that those showrunners are coordinating so that they're not stepping on each other's toes. So at least in the writer's room, they're all talking to each other. And But his idea of potentially a future Star Trek movie that does not want to try and have a concurrent universe, which we've seen in Star Trek before now with the Kelvin universe. Um, But now the primary driver of of new content for Star Trek is the prime timeline again. Um, Rachel, what do you think about the prospect of 
cross-pollination between the films and the TV shows. I mean, honestly, we've seen that in Star Trek before, too, with Worf being a regular cast member on DS9 and showing up in TNG movies. But it sounds like he's talking about something potentially more involved. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. I am reminded of um, the DC universe, I guess, and how they pretty much have two separate things going. Um, what's going on on the CW and what's going on in the movies. And, you know, it definitely makes the TV one seem like like a sort of second-class citizen. With, with one back door that they put in Crisis on Infinite Earths when Ezra Miller showed up to meet. Oh, right. Okay. Barry Allen's yeah. to meet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think that it definitely kind of lowers the status of the TV in that case. Um, I think Trek works better as TV generally. So if you're going to have the movies, the movies should be an extension of the TV series. Like, you know, like the first 10 movies. Mm-hmm. 10? Yeah. 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 So you don't movie. necessarily like the idea potentially of continuing the Calvin timeline? You think that they should just... No, just let it die. Come on, guys. All right. Fair enough. It's It's dead, Chris. Let it go. (laughs) Stop it. Stop. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll see. It's dead, Jim. Yeah. (laughs) That's more appropriate. It's dead, Chris. (laughs) What what about you, Cicero? Um, He's talking about this line dissipating. And, um, you know, there's clear examples to be drawn now with what Marvel Studios is doing um, and the fact that they have quite successfully, I think, made the transition onto episodic television with the same characters that are appearing in the movies. Um, You think there's room for that with Star Trek? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I think he's right. I think there is room for it on television. And in fact, I think the nature of the world has has uh, kind of proven this out. Um, uh, one of my favorite pastimes, one of the things that I did with my free time uh, in the before times was go to the movie theater just about every weekend. Like I, you know, I was in, I was in the movie theater at least twice a month. And in the summertime, sometimes I was in there twice a weekend. Um, and that was, you know, it was the thing that I did. It was how I spent my free time. I loved going to the movies. I don't know, honestly, when I'm going to return to a movie theater or if I'm going to return to a movie theater Mm. and, uh, companies and services, uh, like Paramount Plus, like Disney Plus, like HBO Max, have made that reality much more palatable for me. Um, I'm watching uh, major motion pictures to varying degrees of of quality. Um, you know, uh, of uh, you know, in my home at my leisure. Get over here, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you know what that movie for what it was, was great. Like for what it was perfectly fine. Um, the, the, the movie that, that is most egregious when I, when I think about this is um, a little movie that took place 
for some reason in 1984. I have no idea <laughs> why, why that film existed in that period of time um, uh, or, or why it was made in the first place. Um, but, but, but nonetheless, the fact that I was able to sit and watch it in my home and, and not have to spend a premium and get dressed and go outside and endanger myself and, you know, and do all of the things that we used to take for granted um, or we used to do because we thought we had to uh, now that I don't have to is great. And I, I would love to see, um, I, you know, I think what this really opens the door for is for th- the shows that we love being able to not necessarily eschew full seasons, but have like 0.5 seasons where they do a feature length movie, you know, where, where it's just an extended episode, right? Like, so instead of having Star Trek shorts, maybe we have Star Trek longs that are these 90 minute episodes where they can tell a complete arc with these characters that we know and love that normally we would have to pay some box office fee to see. And it, you know, it may be first contact quality. It may be nemesis quality, (laughs) but, but, you know, we don't, we don't know which, which we're going to get, but it's, it's more palatable for us to get a nemesis or an insurrection um, at home on my couch when I can pause it or rewind it or, you know, say I'm going to come back to it, uh, then putting the family in the family van, waiting, you know, a bunch of hours, paying for overpriced concessions, sitting with a bunch of strangers that smell and make a lot of noise to watch something that you're like, oh, you know, I really wasted my time watching this. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, yeah, well, um, I mean, I certainly think there's room for it. Honestly, Star Trek should deserve credit for establishing this kind of formula in the first place. Uh, That's my perspective on it anyway. I mean, the overt connections between shows and movies weren't really there, but there were connections that existed. Like you could go into a movie theater in 1998 at one point and watch Star Trek Insurrection. And then you can turn on an episode of DS9 like a week or two later. And they're referencing the enemies that you saw in that movie that only appeared in that movie as uh, suppliers of Ketracel White to the Jem'Hadar. I mean, those, those kinds of connections, Star Trek was really doing it more actively than I think it gets credit for. But when it comes to me being a Star Trek fan, I also have an inferiority complex and feel like I need to defend it all the time. So... That is neither here nor there. Well, um, jumping off of that, there was one thing. uh, So Zachary Quinto said he'd be happy to come back to Star Trek in some form or fashion, which is great. But we're kind of running up against the clock here um, in terms of what we were going to talk about today. So let's actually end on this note. Uh, Paramount officially announced that a new Star Trek movie is coming in the summer of 2023. Um, I assume that that means theatrical, although they didn't really elaborate on what that would mean. Um, It's going to be 
produced by J.J. Abrams, which in in and of itself is a little surprising because he's very knee-deep in stuff at Warner Brothers right now, and there's rumors that he's going to be more involved on the DC side of things, building an entirely other universe. But um, the the Paramount Paramount sent a comment to uh, Trek Movie, and all they said was that the untitled Star Trek film is a top-secret project that we're developing with J.J. Abrams producing and that it's coming out on June 9th, 2023. So kind of the stuff that we were all talking about in relation to Star Trek Beyond in terms of they should lower the budget, they shouldn't release it during the summertime, uh, they should kind of pull back what their expectations are for a Star Trek movie. It doesn't sound like they're doing any of that. It's a summer movie. Abrams is back producing it, and I don't know if he's capable of being involved with something that has a budget of less than $500 million, and it's getting positioned right there at the beginning of the summer movie season. Um, I honestly have no idea what to make of this. They're not talking about it. Uh, Tarantino's name has not come up in Star Trek circles in a very long time. I guess there's a chance that it could be that. But considering that Paramount is building this multimedia franchise, um, bringing back performers on television that have uh, been away from the franchise for a really long time while also creating new material on the shows, but they also have this very bankable cast that they've used that have in a lot of ways become superstars in their own right in the Kelvin timeline. I hear nothing but great things about Carl Urban and the boys, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. And Chris Pine oh, is one of the biggest movie that? stars on the planet. What's that? Oh. You haven't watched The Boys yet? I have not. Um, oh, I need oh, to. Okay. I've read about right. half of it, but I hear that the book is very different from from the show. I'll get to that. Though. I, I'll, I, it's just you know, Homelander is bad for my heart as such a big Superman fan. I'll just I'll sure. put it sure. that way. But um, they have this bankable cast. Zoe Saldana is a huge movie star now, too. Uh, that was not as – I mean, she was still a star in 2009, but not nearly at the level that she's at now. Um, what the hell do you guys think this is? Rachel, what do you think this is? With everything that you know and with everything that they're willing to say and your understanding of the dynamics of where the franchise is being fed most through the streaming services – think they're full of shit <laughs> just like today i just don't believe anything that but i also like don't like how many years have we been being told have have we been told that an avatar 2 <laughs> avatar 2 is coming out in two years okay like how many times have we been told that a lot we've been told that for 10 years Okay, and it doesn't mean anything when, like, a studio puts something on their schedule unless that thing is being filmed. Like, if it's in production, okay, yeah, but if it's not in production, it might not happen. And I think things, especially in this business, are way up in the air because of the world. Yeah, like, I don't think the studios really know 
how well things are going to come back. And I don't think they know what their business is really going to look like in 2023. <laughs> like, so I, I think this is just there. They, somebody saying, here's an IP. We're going to have a summer movie. It, it'll make a billion dollars. JJ Abrams, he makes good money, like throw well, him at it. Okay. And like, let, let me put, yeah. let me, let me put it to you a different way though. Presume, let's presume for a moment that they're telling the truth. As hard as I, that I is, I think for they you. think they're telling the well, truth. Fair. Okay, but let's presume that this. I is... think Disney thinks Avatar Two is coming out in two <laughs> two years. But this everything that this date and this producer seems to point to flies entirely in the face of what they tried to do with Star Trek Beyond which for all intents and purposes was not a particularly successful movie, financially speaking. Yeah. They're trying again. They want this to be a tentpole again. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I, th- I, believe, I believe that they want it to be a tentpole again. You think they can pull it off? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I Not with J.J. Abrams. I don't like... They're keeping him. See, this is the thing because they it's have confusing. to. Confusing. You're right. They this have to confusing. make a very particular deal in order to keep him involved with Star Trek. I mean, he he held his home was Paramount for a while, and then he made a special dispensation with Disney so he could go off and do Star Wars. And now his home is at Warner Brothers, and he has to make a special dispensation with Warner Brothers in order to do something for Paramount. So. Yes. They seem very, very into this, whatever but, it is. I mean, I, there are so many times when I'm reading about the history of a franchise or something where you see, oh, this person was attached to this and it didn't happen. Yeah, but that doesn't so happen doesn't that happen. much with Star Trek. It happened right after Nemesis. They didn't know what they were going to do. Berman was involved in that beginning movie, whatever that was going to be. And then we didn't hear anything. And then Abrams said, I'm making a movie with Captain Kirk. Yeah. I don't know. Abrams is not, he's busy. He is very busy. That's true. Well, Cicero, how does all of this combine for you? Um, uh, Star Trek 12 quest for vaporware. Um, this is, <laughs> this is, 14, uh, man, we're up to 14, right, 14. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. But, but like, look, there's, there is so as we're recording there is uh there is 24 hours left in the month of April in 2021 there is no way that in uh 25 months there will be a film ready to be released by by Paramount for with Star Trek in it, there is no script. Yeah. There's no cast. <laughs> they haven't done effects. They haven't, you know. There's no score. There's no way they're going to be able to make a summer blockbuster with nothing, starting with nothing now, and have it ready by June 9th, twenty twenty three. Not happening, right? I don't care what they're doing, especially with even like if they COVID. started. Right. Even if they started tomorrow, that film would not be ready to go. 
It would not be ready. It would have to be like someone is finishing the file and sending it out <laughs> to exhibitors. Like cats. June 8th. <laughs> <laughs> 12th, you know, at, at 11.59. Um, yeah, it's just that. So that part, that part is, is just a non-starter, but like all the other stuff that you're saying, um, like Rachel said, yeah, they wanted to be a big franchise. They wanted to be, you know, super huge because they're paramount. Right. And what's the biggest IP that paramount owns? It's star Trek. Right. But so they want, and they're sitting around and they're watching their buddies, you know, uh, Warner and their buddies over at Disney with these other really big franchises making life and business altering amounts of money using those IPs. So they want to make that kind of money too, but all they've got to at their disposal is Star Trek. And and it's not, you know, and and it's it's no slight on Star Trek. No, of course not. But they're trying to they're trying to make Star Trek. We have seen them behave this way before. Right, right, exactly. They're trying to make Star Trek something that it is not, right? They're trying to make it this giant action tentpole summer blockbuster franchise. And it's just it's it's more cerebral than that and you can't you can't like just transfigure it in in order to to transmutate it into this thing that they're just just like laser focused on trying to turn it into that's not going to work but what can work potentially is doing something even if they take that same money and they invested in a motion picture for the service and release it on the service, you can draw more people to the service than I think you can draw to the theater. And you can keep them on the service and thus make your money that way and allow and justify more films and more Star Trek content through driving subscribers with these giant tentpole events like motion motion pictures. See, I don't I do not disagree with your assertion. The the thing that I'm really curious about and we're not really going to have a clear picture of this until like a year from now if that because clearly the biggest example of this is HBO Max. They're simultaneously releasing their theatrical films on the streaming service in order to try and bolster the audience for it. Um, I know a lot of uh, a certain sect of fandom was really hoping that uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League would be a, a knockdown, drag out, blow out hit for the service. And metrics do not indicate that that was the case. Oh, that's yeah. That's this morning. It was really good. But, but, but that doesn't, uh, it doesn't like how does how is Mortal Kombat received? How is Godzilla versus Kong received? How uh, that movie that wasn't that great with Jared Leto that we watched at the beginning of the year? <laughs> the little things. Little oh things. yeah, with Denzel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I wanted yeah. to like it, and Denzel was great right. as usual, but right. it was just not a great movie. Right, but yeah, but you got Judas and the Black Messiah was really good, right. and yeah, you know, Tom and Jerry was surprisingly good. I missed Tom and Jerry. I wanted to watch. Yeah, it. Tom and Jerry was surprisingly good. That's cool. Um, but, you know, it'll probably be back uh, by by July 4th. 
Yeah. It'll be back on the service and, uh, you know, you'll have an opportunity to see it then. Sure. Um, they, yeah. Uh, HBO, I think HBO has done the right thing. Um, it is, it has drawn the ire of a lot of people that are used to doing things a, a certain way. But I think as a species, um, we're going to learn that sometimes we need to adapt to a new way of doing things and our excuse for wanting them to, to do things the way that we used to do them can't be, oh, well, that's just the way that we used to do them. That's the way that I'm used to. Therefore, it must be good. Oh, yeah. That can't be that can't be the rationale that we use anymore. And I think that what we'll start to see again is is that services like HBO Max, services like Disney Plus, um, if you put out good content that is high quality, mm-hmm. you will draw viewers to your service, and that will be enough. Sure. And you don't need to continue to drive people to these movie theaters that you don't own. <laughs> well, and I, I honestly don't know what Abrams' perspectives are on streaming um, because it seems like a lot of these bigger names in Hollywood who have directed and produced are very much against the model that Warner Brothers and AT&T have pushed forward. You guys know I virtually worshipped the ground that Christopher Nolan walks on but I thought he sounded really stupid when he was really trying to push forward the theaters to reopen in spite of the safety risks that are that were and are very present for people. Um, look, we all love movies, man. But if uh, your if if your job is contingent upon a bunch of people getting together uh, in an indoor environment, sitting too close together. While there's right. a global pandemic going on, right. you're in the wrong business right now. It's yes. just the way it right. is. Right. So, well, I think the the filmmakers and the people involved they all had deals with Warner that they feel like they went back on. Right? Well, they did go back on them. Well, I mean, it was, right. they had deals with them to get some amount of residuals from the theatrical run. Oh, right, yeah, and that that's not happening, right? Like they're losing a lot of money. The people who made these films are losing a lot of money. I don't, I don't think that they would make back any of that money. If these films weren't on HBO max also. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, well, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? That's what I think that's, what's motivating the directors because those are the those have been the guys right it's been the directors and the movie the the theater houses that have been complaining the loudest mm-hmm. right because they're the ones whose bottom lines have been most impacted by the by the decision of these studios that have streaming services to to stream you know to at at worst simulcast their their content both in the theater and and on their on their services and that's because the directors have not like they didn't, you know, like no one planned for this, right? There's nothing in their contracts to talk about. Well, what, you know, how many points do I get on a view on a, you know, on a stream versus, you know, it's real easy 
to quantify how many views I get per screen in a theater house or how many tickets are sold at the box office or, you know, however they they worked out those compensation models. But there was no compensation model for streaming services. Mm -hmm. And so immediately my knee-jerk reaction is if I stand to lose $25 million, you know, off the fact that my film that I I assumed was going to make me an extra $25 million isn't because it's going to be in the theaters and people are going to love it in the theaters uh, isn't there, then I'm going to be really upset over the fact that it's not in there. And I'm going to, it's going to be in my best interest to try and encourage people to not only go see it in, in an unsafe environment, but go see it often in yeah. an unsafe environment right. so that I can, I can make, you know, I got a yacht to pay for. Without <laughs> some kind of give and take, right? I mean, either right. like, theaters are going to have to do something to try and entice people back, whether it's lowering the price of the damn popcorn or that something's got to give. Like, I don't know. They'll probably just raise their prices yeah, really. a lot. Right. Right. Well, but yeah. even having this whole conversation, it occurs to me, you know, we still aren't any closer to determining what the hell this movie is, you know? It's and nothing. neither are they. It is everything you want it to be and, and none, none of them. What's the point of giving us a date then? Like why? Why are they kicking up this much of a fuss? Is it because I, they can just say something and not be held accountable for it in any way, shape, or form whatsoever? Yes, and it's not ding, us. Ding, they're ding. giving the date to. It's the shareholders. They're well, saying, the, "Ooh, look at this." Aren't shareholders right, don't, don't sell? <laughs> like, but aren't shareholders going to be pissed if the movie is delayed or something happens to it that affects? I don't the think final they're thinking date? that. Far ahead. I think they're thinking six months to a year ahead. And the, the important thing for them now is they're kind of in a little bit of a crisis. And the thing that is important right now is like maintaining investor confidence for the next year or so. And you hope that as things pick up, though, then you'd be like, oh, OK, like what what should I do? Then why advertise Abrams involvement? Because, because I feel like he, because that also right that's he, because that's a known commodity. If he Abrams is a known commodity, sure he 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 sells. No, no, no. Practically speaking, I get it. What I'm yeah. trying to to ask is if he's not sure he's going to get a payday from leading a Paramount blockbuster in the summer of 2023 then does he even sign his name to be allowed to be used on an announcement of a movie that might yes. come out? Yes, because they paid him enough money to do that, right? Is like that they've got a I'm pretty sure They've got a development it. deal. It's a development deal. So you, you give somebody a development deal, right? And you say, we're going to pay you X amount of money so that we have access to you in case we have something for you to do. Right. Yes. And and then. Right. And so then I can. Right. If I paid for Chris Clow in a development deal, I can now walk around and say, oh, man, I've got Chris Clow in the back and he's working on, you know, my next my next thing. And it's going to be amazing because it's Chris Clow. You know, you want to you want to be part of the Chris Clow business. Man, right? I just well, want to I've watch a him. Star Trek movie. I'm for sorry. God's sake. We're crushing his dreams. We're crushing right. his dreams. 
No, look, everything you guys are saying, it, I I take absolutely no issue with, and I am fully. I want to be fully transparent that you know the business dynamics are very alien to me for very obvious reasons. By now, I think, but um, I don't know. I guess I just don't want to. I guess I just like to believe that there is some kind of work being done that would justify them announcing something. But maybe that maybe it's not the case. Nope. I, I maybe you're right, sir. But Rachel and I are in the camp of I I cannot believe for a second. I will put zero confidence in in the fact that uh, what there is is more than just good intentions. Sure. And desire. Well, beyond that, I think that there there is at least a little bit of clarity in the idea that Paramount does want to make a Star Trek movie at some point sure. in the future. Yes. So what do they do? Well, that's their problem. No, but it's our problem too. Because <laughs> They're not going to listen to us. Well, of course not. But what I mean is... What's the most viable path forward for the Star Trek film series? Presuming they're not going to make another Kelvin movie, as Rachel thinks is the case, while also understanding Kurtzman's perspective that the line between the divisions is effectively gone. What do they do? I think what Cicero said, a direct-to-streaming 90-minute episode. All right. There you go. Star Trek Law. Listen to us. Well, look, Scott Bakula and Avery Brooks are not getting any younger. Right. So let's jump on that. Get them together. Right. Look, honestly, like it's been so long since we've seen Cisco. We haven't talked about the trailers for the new stuff that is coming. Uh, because there is one rather prominent return that we have already seen confirmed and he has said that he has already worked on it. So I think we could take that to the bank. Yeah. I think, but uh, let's, let's have, that's what, you know, that's the beauty of upcoming episodes. You know, our episodes are, are almost, almost a procedural in so much that we talk about whatever it is that we're talking about yeah. and we reset to zero, but it is modern TV that we're talking about. So there is a subplot <laughs> and that subplot will carry over into our next episode. Yes. Yes, it is. So be sure to come back for the next episode of discovery debrief. We've got a lot of stuff left over in terms of franchise news if Zachy's able to join us, we're going to have to get him to chime in on the on the movie discussion because he's I think he's a lot closer to it than any of us are, and he's a he's a very intelligent man. But um, we've got a lower decks trailer that we've got to talk about with episodes for that coming in like a little over three months, which is cool. Um, we've got a Discovery season four trailer to talk about, and then of course the Picard season two trailer. Um, the we got a, our first look at the model for uh, a holographic Captain Janeway in the Nickelodeon show Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, there's a new convention, a new official Star Trek convention that's coming to the city of Chicago in 2022, which might require uh, 
some meeting up to, to take place, even though we don't live in Chicago anymore. I'd, I'd come out for a Star Trek convention. And um, I wanted to briefly touch on a new Star Trek RPG that launched exclusively on Apple's uh, gaming platform. And a Starfleet captain was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame recently. So a lot of interesting stuff to talk about next time. But uh, Cicero, it's good to see you again, my friend. And and likewise, my friend. Yes. And Rachel, it's nice to see you again, my wife. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But that's uh, going to do it for episode number 57 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss more what more about what's to come from the final frontier. Until then, go boldly, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>